Hello and welcome to Earthcast, a platform for discussions about bridging the resource gap between people and planet. I am Olivia Taylor, or Olivia Earth on the socials, your host, and I will be interviewing a series of change makers, thinkers and disruptors, and asking them about their areas of expertise. Together, we will discover fresh perspectives and the most useful levers in society for change. The main question that we will explore is how are trade-offs made between people, planet and profit? More specifically, how do we solve wicked problems and make decisions at the margin? If you would like to hear more from Earthcast, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. Welcome back to Earthcast for another episode. Today I'm speaking to Gracelyn Baskaran, who is a development economist and a US national with experience living and working in Asia, Africa, Australia, Europe, and North America. Gracelyn is a consultant economist with the World Bank. She is also a senior research fellow at the Faculty of Economics at the University of Cape Town, where she undertakes research on balancing social spending with fiscal sustainability. Gracelyn has published widely and was a Fulbright Fellow and holds an MPhil and PhD in Development Economics from the University of Cambridge. Gracelyn was introduced to me by Wandile Sitlobo, who featured in episode one of Earthcast. Together they have written some really interesting pieces which you should explore if you'd like to learn more about Gracelyn's work. So Gracelyn, what have been your most useful or transformational experiences in forming your current worldview and understanding the complexity of the sustainability polycrisis? Thanks for having me, Olivia. Um, so I guess, you know, for me, I grew up in the U.S. and I grew up in Michigan, which is kind of the automotive hub of the U.S. And, you know, when the 2008 financial crisis happened, I saw what happened when a an economy kind of reliant on a single sector implodes a bit. And so when I was 22 years old, I moved to South Africa for the first time. And, you know, they could have, it was through a Fulbright fellowship with the U.S. State Department, and they could have taken me anywhere in South Africa, but they put me in Rustenburg, uh, which was a bit of a culture shock in some ways. But within that, this was early 2014, there was a, a complex situation there. Socially, it was the aftermath of Americana, you know, this horrific incident where we saw this friction between the state and, and labor, but also kind of a, a crisis within the fact that the platinum group metal sector can be part of the clean energy transition, right? It is, you know, the core of hydrogen fuel cell technology, which is where the world is moving in terms of, you know, low emission standards on vehicles. However, you also saw the challenge of when you move to mechanization, what happens to a workforce, which was very similar to the automotive sector when I grew up in Michigan, which is you have um, more efficiency, you reduce your cost, but you have a spike in, you know, unemployment and people losing their jobs to technology. So it was a really fascinating experience that profoundly shaped my career. I went back and I did a PhD looking at some of these challenges and went on to do some work within mining policy. So it's just an example of how social, environmental profitability can create certain clashes that must be navigated. Thanks, Grayson. And thank you so much for mentioning the, the, 
the growth in the hydro, the growth in the research in hydrogen as a, as a more realistic renewable going into the future. It's such an interesting thing that I've actually been looking at a bit recently. But I wanted to ask you, as an academic, how would you like to see the tension managed between the echo chambers of educational institutes and tangible change making? I.e., how do we take all of this incredible theory that's being developed in these educational institutions and translate it into measurable outputs? So I think a lot, one of the ways the world is starting to go is that we need data-driven policy um, and we need to build policy that's ground in data, facts, and research. And I think one of the examples I can think of most recently is, you know, with a few years of data in the mining sector, um, my colleague Merrick and I at the World Bank, we were able to use all of this data, take a first time stab at calculating the adjusted net savings of the mining sector. And adjusted net savings is a measure of economic sustainability, and it assesses whether savings and investment in a country compensate for depletion of physical and natural capital, pollution, and depreciation. And that's a great example because when we were able to actually quantify that, we could also take that to policymakers and go, look, you know, here's what the numbers show us. And here's what needs to be done if we want to make mining more uh, economically sustainable for a country. You know, so it's really taking numbers and bringing it to policymakers and helping them uh, see how they can build policy using data. That's so important, specifically in the South African context. You know, we, we all know that mining is, is one of those huge contributors to our GDP. But at a high level, what are our biggest, what are the biggest developmental issues that we're seeing on a global scale? And then more specifically in sub-Saharan Africa. So globally right now, it's a fascinating time in history, a tragic, but a fascinating time is we're seeing compounding shocks and we're seeing compounding shocks because of COVID-19 um, with climate change, right? So when you have, when we look at Southern Africa in 2019, I mean, it was a, it was hit with drought after drought after drought, you know, I mean, pretty, pretty much every country in, in the region was having one of its worst droughts in anywhere from, from 40 to 100 years. And then, you know, January 2020, these countries are scrambling to try and recover slowly. And then by March, COVID hit, right? And they had to essentially shut down the economy for virus containment. So the question it globally and in um, sub-Saharan Africa is how do we respond to compounding shocks? How do we stimulate recovery, but sustainable recovery? And in Southern Africa, the added challenge is how do we stimulate sustainable recovery while also creating jobs because kind of across the region here we have a little bit of an unemployment crisis. Absolutely and I've read some really horrifying stats after COVID-19 of how that's affected youth unemployment and I don't know any of the stats offhand but it, they really did shock me to the core. But Grayson, more, more on your experience, how do we balance the environmental and the social costs of mining key minerals and metals with the need to extract for clean energy? How do you navigate the gray areas between the trade-offs made between social concerns, environmental degradation, and profits? So I think one of the things is positions I take is that mining companies should be covering all costs, right, of all negative externalities. So that's your health, you know, your long your health consequences both in the short and long term. That is covering the social costs, the environmental costs, 
Uh, we see a lot of historical environmental destruction, uh, infrastructure costs. I mean, mining is really tough on, for example, roads. Um, because they're doing these heavy hauls up and down. And mining companies should only be mining if they can profit profitably cover all of these costs, right? If they can't cut a profit while covering all the short and long-term costs, they shouldn't be mining. And especially with clean energy, I mean, the demand for these minerals and metals is going to go is going to go up considerably over the next 30 years. And there's prof there's room for profits while also covering all of these costs. Does it reduce profits? Yes, but it shouldn't be unprofitable to cover all of the negative externalities that they're causing. I guess that's the mind sh uh, the mindset shift that we need, which is to to sort of flip the script and say, <laughs> you know, this is not a reduction in profits. This is a necessary this is a necessary thing for the balance sheet. This isn't a grudge purchase that we should add in at the end. So I really like the way that you framed that. To add to that, I think there's this push globally with investors that like environmental, social and governance like ESG, you know, 10 years ago, it was more of a nice to have. Like this is a nice, you know, nice to have element of, you know, the way a company does it. It's really become a must have now, right? Like investors, it, it's really core to investors that you have ESG standards and that you are you know, covering the cost of the consequences you are creating to promote sustainability, not just for a firm, but sustainability of the earth, sustainability of a community, sustainability of your workforce. And that's a very positive move within, um, within business altogether, but particularly mining. I'm glad to hear you talking about that because so often we only hear the negative sides and it's very easy to fall for, as Chimamanda Adichie calls it, the, the single story, and to just hear that one side, um, it's also very easy to vilify people. <laughs> so I appreciate you bringing mm -hmm. in those levels of complexity. And Grayson, as an economist, what issues are keeping you up at night? And what are some of the solutions that you are toying with? And these can be, you know, practical things or, you know, just ideas you have in theory. Yeah, so one of the biggest things is the concept of inequality with where the world is going. So if I look at Southern Africa, six of the 10 most unequal countries in the world are in Southern Africa. You know, so one of one of the big things is how do we create equitable economic growth, right? Like we've always prioritized economic growth, right? From kind of a, uh, a development perspective, but equitably is a whole different challenge because that's not just building out a good private sector, that's creating an inclusive private sector, for example, right? So that's definitely one. Um, and then the second one is how do we stimulate economic growth and support climate mitigation? And this isn't just Southern Africa, this is in just Africa, this is globally, is we're seeing a rise in these climatic shocks, floods, droughts, wildfires. And we need to reshape economic activities to mitigate, so to reduce emissions rather than just respond to all of these shocks. And this is important from an economic point of view because when we're constantly responding to shocks, it creates a lot of budget volatilities, right? I mean, what countries are spending year to year to respond to floods and droughts is enormous, but it's not practical in the long term. I mean, it's really building a mitigation agenda rather than simply an adaptive agenda. Thank you so much for sharing that. And before I ask you the last question, Gracelyn, I would just like to say to my audience, if you guys would like to follow more of Gracelyn's work or perhaps sign up to her newsletter, you can get access to that on her website, which is www.gracelynbaskaran.com. 
And Grayson, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you really going through the complexities, uh, the complexities of these issues with me. And now for the last question, given your expertise, what questions should I have asked you? So I think one of the questions going forward as we look at economic recovery, one of the questions you could ask and really we should all ask is, what are the economic sectors we should be focusing on to stimulate growth and, uh, and promote that you know, sustainability, both economically, socially, environmentally? I mean, that's, that's big going forward is do we need to shift the sector, the focus on economic sectors that we are targeting for growth? Thank you for joining me today at Earthcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Let's chat next episode, where I will be asking more creatives and intellectual disruptors about making decisions at the margin. See you next time.